The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, Austin FC lost to Real Salt Lake after a Danny Pereira red card. They also have two games in this upcoming week against LAFC on Wednesday and then Orlando City on Sunday. We'll cover all of that along with uh, several other pieces of Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I am Jeremiah Bentley, and Landon and I are in the middle of a busy week of podcasting. In addition to this show, we uh, we made an appearance on the, I guess, the first official episode of Phil West's new show, which is called Westward Ho. <laughs> it was Hope episode one, and it was the Ho notes were the names of the notes. So it was it's very much like Phil West baby. How would you how'd you feel about that experience, Landon? It was it was like everything I wanted it to be. I, I, anyone who knows Phil West knows that he will always go. Given the option, he'll always choose for like the sweaty pun, as opposed to something that actually tells you what a thing is, which I appreciate his dedication to. Uh, but that's why the show ended up being call, called Westward Ho. But it is a, a show dedicated to the Western Conference of MLS. And so, yeah, th- his idea is kind of just to dive in a little bit deeper on the teams that uh, are in the Western Conference. And by way of that, will be the teams that Austin FC will be playing. And so I imagine a lot of Austin fans, because it's from it's Austin based, but also it'll be a way to learn a little bit more about the teams that Austin's going to be playing week in and week out. But uh, go and support that show. I think is now on all platforms. And then also, Swoon Tower Soccer released an episode last week. Mike and Steph are doing a fantastic job and have really kind of found found a groove with the show. So be sure to go check that out too, because I've been thoroughly enjoying them. Yeah, it's great. I mean, and it's a different vibe, but it's definitely it's one that's consistent. And I told this story to them, but like one of my coworkers who hadn't seen in months, uh, you know, I said, Hey, how's it going? She's like, great. I love Swoon Tower. Let's talk about how awesome that is. I was like, well, okay, but what about me? You know, <laughs> she did not care at all about Moon Tower content, but loves Swoon Tower content. So it's a, it's a great audience. And they're like, they're just so, they're just so much fun together too. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is kind of the, the growing extended Striker Texas family. If you would like to become part of the Striker Texas family, we actually have a discount code for you this week. If you are, for whatever reason, not already subscribing to the Striker Texas, A, you should be, but B, we can get you a 30% discount if you use the code MOONTOWER22, and that's with a capital M. That part is important. It is case sensitive. So capital M, MOONTOWER22, you'll get a 30% discount for your subscription to the Striker Texas. It's the best Austin FC coverage you're going to find. Uh, the best Texas soccer coverage you're going to find. And if you haven't tried looking up coverage for other MLS teams or MLS in general, you may not know how lucky we are to have the Striker Texas because a lot of teams barely have a beat writer covering a team at all for in any capacity. Sometimes it's like amateur bloggers. Not that there's anything wrong with amateur bloggers, but they usually don't have the time or the resources to spend on covering a team full time. Austin has that along with a few other people who cover them part-time. And so it really is the best coverage you're going to find. So support it, allow it to continue to exist because it doesn't continue to exist without sub- subscribers. Like we need to be able to essentially pay the writers who are doing this work. So subscribe. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get into some Austin FC news. 
Let's do it. So I think the biggest piece of news off field this week is that Josh Wolf was given a contract extension, three-year extension through the end of 2025. Jeremiah, you and I have not had a chance to talk about this, but I think this is probably a thing that will be, as anything with Josh Wolf is, Austin FC fans seem to be a little bit divided on it. So you have, you and I haven't talked about this. I honestly don't know your feelings on it. So what are your feelings on this extension? Well, I think like it's just a statement. Like that's that's all I feel like. It's a statement of belief of the club's belief that we've made some progress this year, and so you know they want to lock him up. And I guess that also means what since three years that he was up at the end of this year, correct? Yeah. So yeah, I think a lot of people are saying it was too early. But I mean, if we bought, if we're awful this year and next year, they can also fire him at, like a year early, like. Coaches' contracts are only—I mean—they're worth basically nothing. So you're either you're what you're doing is sending a message that the club believes in this system, and you're hoping to send the message out to the league and potential players and things like that that like there's stability. It's a good place to be, and hopefully that helps us build stronger rosters in the future. Um, but you know, we'll see. The results will play out whether he's actually here through the end of 2025 or not. Yeah, yeah, that's that's entirely true because there's not roster rules about uh, having to use one buyout to fire your coach in the offseason. Like none of that applies when it comes to coaches. If they fire him, they'd probably have to pay out the rest of his contract. So that's one uh, deterrent in that regard. But it doesn't affect the actual roster build if they decide to fire Josh Wolf. Going back to like people thinking it was too early, I think initially I, I was thinking three-year extension. Okay, that's on the end of his current contract but I don't guess I realized that his contract was up at the end of this season and so this brings him to the end of 25 so he's gonna it extends to 23 24 and 25 is it really even early to extend the contract at this if point in time I don't think so not not if you're, if you're if you're in the last season of a contract and he's off to a good start and I think for all intents and purposes, he's going to make it through the end of this year. Better to sign him now rather than risk his value going up. Yeah, I think I kind of ruffled some feathers with a statement I made in uh, in Los Verdes Slack talking about this by saying that this, like, I think a lot of people are saying like, what if he, like, what if we turn into a disaster the rest of the season and look really bad? And what I said was like this, this extension is not about Josh Wolf's record. And what I meant by that is that, like what you said before, it's it's a vote of confidence for the system that Josh Wolf has implemented. They've seen enough at this point to believe in that system that he's building, not only with the first team, but with the, the bottom, like the lower levels as well. When uh, David Goss was in town and I talked to him at Hop Squad, we were talking about the youth teams and he was saying that that U17 Austin team plays a more pure version of this system than what the first team does. With the caveat of like it's lesser competition and whatever, but those kids are are playing like the real thing. Like what Wolf's vision is, we have teenagers doing it throughout the entire system right now. And so the fact that he is implementing that system, the first team players, whether or not they end up in, in second place or last place this year, they are bought into it. It's a system that we have seen be able to work and in years past has worked with other teams. That's why he's getting an extension is that 
it is taking hold throughout this entire organization. And so that's really the goal. Everything about this build has seemed to be with an eye towards the future and not so much winning now. And this is another conversation I had in Los Reyes Slack is like, why can't we do both? Why can't we win now and build for the future? And you can, like you can do both those things, but there are certain decisions that you make that there's going to be opportunity costs in those things. And maybe this decision, which would be a bigger swing for the short term, would kind of hamstring us for the long term if it doesn't if it doesn't line up. So when we're talking about like the flexible, uh, fle- flexible roster build, having that extra spot for this summer, if we find the right guy, like those kinds of decisions, we could bring some in right now and swing for the fences. But if it doesn't work, then we're maybe stuck with this guy. Like the FC Cincinnati type decisions that we've talked about over the, over the years is if you give too many guys too big of contracts too soon, if they don't hit, you're stuck with these guys. And I, I think it all ties into this idea of they're trying to build this really solid foundation to not just make us good this year, next year, but to give us this foundation to build upon for the next 10, 15 years so that we're good every year and not just right now. Yeah, more often than not, that other, unless you just, you're like our opponent this week, unless you're just LAFC and you have piles and piles of money to throw at everything, then that other approach has shown to not work. So I feel like this this way of doing things is the most likely avenue to success. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's positive overall. I mean, it it does seem a little bit early um, in the season, but I mean, I think we've definitely seen progress. And so I don't have any problem with it. Yeah. Anthony Precourt tweeted out, um, he said, we felt it best to take care of the contract now so we can have focus squarely on playoff run, transfer window and roster and staff planning going into next season. Good planning can't start soon enough. Of course, the owner is going to give the company line, but I think he's right. Like, if you have that out of the way, if we wait until the like halfway through the season or three quarters away through the season to renew Wolf's contract, we we know by talking to Sean Rubio, we had Sean Rubio on those those plates are already spinning. Like this summer, they're already working on that. Sean is already thinking about twenty twenty three. And if we don't know who the coach is going to be in 2023, we don't know if he's going to, if they're going to continue in the same system, it's hard to kind of plan for that. And so by having the coach in place now, we know exactly what we're looking for, what system, what kind of players we're looking at. We can start planning that stuff now in confidence. And so, yeah, I agree with pre-court there. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I think it's a smart move overall at, at the highest level. All right. A few other pieces of Austin FC news that we ran out of time and didn't really get to cover last week is one of which is Austin FC is playing Pachuca June 11th at 8 p.m. Did we talk about this last week? Maybe we, we did, did not talk about this. No, we didn't get into this one. Okay, so yeah, Pachuca, for those who don't know, they're, I believe they're in first place in Liga Mekis right now. Um, this is going to be during the international break. Austin doesn't have any, probably doesn't have any players going on international duty. We didn't last window. Well, probably not this window. Um, I would... Guess it's going to be a rotated lineup. Probably not going to see the stars out there. But I think that's been kind of fun to see in the last couple of friendlies we've seen. Don't you think? Yeah, it's good to see some guys who don't always get a lot of time get more time and and get more run out. And we know that you can't read a ton into that in terms of whether they will convert that success into regular regular season uh, success. Yeah, like run, like <laughs> for example. But I mean, it's just good. Like I mean, I, I 
I like seeing all the guys play and, and seeing what they have to offer. Yeah, and so these tickets are included with uh, season ticket packages. So if you are a season ticket holder, then you get into this one for free. Um, but yeah, it should be fun. It's on a weekend as well. So not another midweek one like one. I think the T-Grays one Like the T-Grays one was. So it yeah, should, it was. Hopefully we can get a good crowd in there and have some fun. But uh, other piece of news, on June 4th, there is a player meet and greet. Um, I didn't write down the details of this, Jeremiah. Do you remember them? Well, I do because I RSVP'd today. I got the reminder <laughs> that it's for season ticket holders. It says O Collective members. So I don't know if that's like season ticket holders and uh, people like on the wait waiting list. People, and, yeah. And wait list people. Uh, but you can, you can. it's from 1 to 4.30. It's at the stadium. There's not a ton of details, but it seems like it's going to be pretty cool. Um, and you have to RSVP by May 20th, which is why they sent a reminder email today. So that's by the end of this week. But yeah, it's a good, it's a good time. Um, to get out, take advantage of the break, and I think hopefully they'll have a good turnout and be a good thing for fans to go do. Yeah, um, I think we should also maybe touch on the Cecilia Dominguez situation. Uh, we talked a lot about the situation last week, but we didn't really get into some of the the newer updates of it. So he has been training with the team, but uh, Wolf, as recently as the post game press conference after the RSL game, said that. Uh, it's still going to be a while before he's even close to playing and has reiterated several times, like it's going to take some time. So I don't know when we could potentially see him, but I would guess at least I don't, I, I would, I would be surprised if we even saw him on the bench against Orlando. So maybe after that little international break and Pachuca, that would maybe be when we start seeing the possibility of Cecilio appearing on the bench. I think that seems about right. He said during the, uh, I think it was just the midweek, talked about that he'd been out um, long enough that it was basically an off season's worth of being out of, being out of practice, like af- after the five weeks. Yeah, and then there's also, um, it'll be interesting to see. So if, I guess the first match after that is Montreal away, correct? I believe that's right, yeah. So then the, the probable first home appearance would be June 25th against FC Dallas. And I think, it could be quite an experience to see how the fans who've, especially in the supporter section, have come out strongly with their opinions on things, you know, react to to him showing up for that one. Yeah, I, one hypothesis I've seen floating around is we really, so like between now and, do, do you remember the date of the second transfer window? It's, it's so opens in early July, so I think that Dallas July match. July 7th? Is, yeah, I think that Dallas match is the only home match after Orlando and before that transfer window opens. So is that, is that if, where you're going? Yeah. Like if, if they are like, we don't know that this is the case, but if they are looking to transfer him out in this summer window, then like they could potentially not even put him on the bench for a home game for between now and then. And so another, I, I think a thing that, that like bears pointing out is our transfer window is when we can start bringing in new players, but that doesn't matter for outgoing players. The only thing that matters for outgoing players is the other team's transfer window, which a lot of places will start in June. And so as early as June, you could see Austin FC players leave the team. MLS players leave their teams, but incoming would like the replacements wouldn't be coming until July, but players could leave earlier than that. That's a good point. That's a, that's a good thing to remember about the way the windows work. Because every it's like basically every league in the world has its own window, right? And yeah. not, they don't all align. 
Yeah, I think most of Europe aligns for the most part, but yeah, really they can kind of set their own their own thing by like country federation. Yeah, it should make for an interesting summer in Austin. If if there's other beyond the soccer, I think there's plenty of things going on. Um, you want to talk about uh, the game this week? Should we take a break before we take talk about the game? Let's take a little break this week, and we can talk about my lack of preparedness for one of our sponsors. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. One second, hang tight. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Austin Daily Drop. So Chris Bozier, the host of Austin Daily Drop, is a longtime Austin Broadcasting veteran. He's a guy I followed on Twitter for a long time before I connected the fact that he was also the host of Austin Daily Drop. So he's like a really interesting follow in that way. Um, so, you know, if you like him on Twitter, if you don't, you should definitely listen to his podcast. He's been involved in Austin media since 1993, which is about as long as I've been here. Um, and this is a very small and smaller and di- more different city in that time. But so sort of Chris is Chris has grown along with Austin. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, my wife said the same thing. Is that she? She's like, oh yeah, I follow that guy on Twitter. He's, he's really good for like local news stuff, which is exactly why you should listen to the Austin Daily Drop. I like not kidding. I actually listened to this podcast before Chris reached out about doing ads for us, but um, it's great. Like I listen to a lot of public radio. The local public radio stations do a good job of covering local stuff if you have long enough to listen to like catch those little segments. But like my schedule doesn't always allow for that. So Austin Daily Drop gives us like gives me the opportunity to listen to a little short eight, 10 minute show and get all of the Austin news for the day. And yeah, it's it's been really great. Yeah. Like you said, it comes out Monday through Friday by 8 a.m., um, runs eight to 10 minutes. It's a quick, easy, and reliable way to get up to speed on everything that's going on in Austin that's worth knowing about. Give Chris 10 minutes and he'll give you Austin. Jeremiah, how is your Spartan race training going? Why, it is going exactly as well as it was going a week ago. (laughs) So, not? Not, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. So, and I've got this friend, I've got this friend, um, and he's one of these guys that like posts his work on Instagram and he's always up at like five in the morning, like lifting weights and stuff and so but he does spartan races and so i texted him and i was like hey aj i need some advice on how to prepare for this he's like don't worry you don't have to be fast it's just like just be able to do a bunch of pull-ups it's all upper body strength you'll be fine i'm like aj it's like i'm fast (laughs) and i have no upper body strength it sounds like not my kind of event at all but it's gonna be okay and it's gonna be fun and now we still got this code and i would encourage people to sign up i've talked to a few folks who've who've done the things in order to get the code and you're ready to go. But yeah, it's going to be a good time on May 21st in Bertram, Texas in some way for a lot of people and hopefully for me too. It'll be an experience I won't forget for sure. Yeah, so normally you have to pay money to be in this in, in a Spartan race, like a, a fair amount of money, but we can get you in for free. If you would like to do the Spartan race in Austin, Texas on May 21st and 22nd, there's, there's various options on both of those days, correct? Right, there's all the way from like super competitive people who apparently do this all the time like on saturday morning all the way i think there's like a kid's 1k version of it and there's like a family there's like it's a full weekend worth of different levels of races for different abilities of people yeah so if you would like to get into one of those races for free all you need to do post a video or a photo of yourself training for your spartan race use the hashtag hashtag spartan training or at spartan and then tag us at moon tower soccer and we'll get you a code to get into the race for free. So, um, yeah, do all that. Save yourself some money. 
see if you can beat Jeremiah. And, Shouldn't be hard. <laughs> and have some fun. All right, we are back. Jeremiah, let's talk about the RSL game. So we were on a four-game winning streak, lost against LA Galaxy. We have this pretty tough month coming up. We're hoping that this game, this game kind of seems like maybe one of the easier ones that we're going to get this month, right? So we're kind of hoping we could turn this into something. Early on, it looked like we were going to, and then hopes were dashed in the second half with a Danny Pereira red card. Um, yeah, a little disappointing. Yeah, I listened to us last week talking about that, said saying exactly that, right? That it's May is not an easy month, and it's going to get harder going forward. And this is one that we, I was really hoping we get some some kind of we get something out of some result, and we it was so close. Even after Danny went out, we were close to at least getting a point. We'll get into that, but. Uh, yeah, it's an unfortunate turn of events for sure. Yeah, so starting lineup is a little bit shaken up. Uh, Andrew Tarbell still playing for the injured Brad Stuver. Kolmanich gets to start at left back. Uh, Gabrielson and Cascante in the middle. Jimenez gets to start at right back. Danny Pereira, Ring, Drew Yusi in the in the midfield. Then Fagundes, Aruti, and Finley. So the front six looking the same as they always have pretty much for the last several games. Um, Hector Jimenez starting, you'd almost have to think that's like a rotation thing, right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, Nick Lima has been good as, as, as he's played. Um, and I feel like Hector has not been great this year. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit in terms of the game, but yeah, it seems like it was more of a rotation thing than anything. So Austin starts off pretty strong. Uh, that kind of fades about eight to 10 minutes in, I think. RSL gets a pretty dangerous shot somewhere around the 10th minute or so. Uh, but Austin gets their first goal in the 24th minute. Uh, it's an Alex Rain goal. So Sebastian Drusi has the ball in midfield, breaks a line with a little slip pass into Ring behind the midfielders, but still in front of the back line. He plays the ball out wide to Diego, who's 1v1 with Aaron Herrera, their right back. Uh, he's taking him on, cuts inside as Ring makes a near post run across his face. So he gives Diego the option of either slipping him in and carries a defender with him. Also opening up space for Diego to hit that far post curler if he wants to. Diego ends up choosing that inside pass, which comes maybe a, a touch too late for Ring's run. Luckily, uh, Silva, their center back, doesn't step with the rest of the line to try to catch Ring offside and keeps him onside just barely. Um, the pass finds ring. He kind of lets it run a little bit and does a little look up. And in the post-game press conference, he he mentions this, but it gives a little look up back to the ball and just smashes it near post. And one thing I thought was interesting is that Adrian Healy and Sonny Guadarrama on the broadcast were convinced that he didn't mean it, that it was a cr- it would cross. I the heard time, that, yeah. Which I think is completely off. Like I think it was absolutely a shot. Yeah, I agree. Unless that look. So you think the look is the is where, the, where he made the decision? Like he looked up and decided yeah. whether to cross it or shoot it. But I think once he once he looked up, once he let that ball run a little bit, made the look like that. I feel like that was a shot. Now maybe he was thinking about his options there on passing or shooting before. But yeah, man, it was. He seemed like he was committed to smashing the ball when he made connection to it. And Ring said as much in the the post game press conference. Somebody asked him about like that moment. And I don't remember if they straight up asked if it was a shot or a cross, but like in those in those situations, the player always says it's a shot, right? Of but course. Ring Ring almost like downplayed it a little bit and was like, 
I, maybe they asked if he like placed it there or if he just hit it as hard as he can, like kind of hopeful. And Ring essentially said, like, I looked up and saw no one in the box. And so I decided just to hit it as hard as I can and hope for the best, essentially. <laughs> and that's what he did. I mean, and um, McMath, their goalkeeper, also thought maybe the cross was coming in, cheated out a little bit, giving that space there on the near post for Ring to to hit it into. But so, yeah, I, I, I think I'll give Ring the credit for it being a shot, but I don't... I. I think it would be a little bit of an overreach to say, oh, Alex Ring placed it right there in the right spot. I think Alex Ring just hit it as hard as he could near post, and that's where the ball was. And went. that was the right spot, yeah. And that was also, so it was Diego's uh, seventh assist of the year, too, which the government gave him the, I don't know if it gave him the league lead or allowed him to continue to have the league lead, but at that point in time, he was the league leader in assists. Yeah, so uh, about 10 minutes after that, Andrew Tarbell is forced into a really big save. So there's a long throw throw in from Aaron Herrera. The ball bounces around all over the box. Nobody can clear it. Finally, it falls to Cordova, who hits the ball really hard and forces Tarbell to make a really big instinct save. He jumps up in the air and barely able to get a hand to it and push it over the bar. But that was a great save by Tarbell, but probably one that he shouldn't have had to make. And then uh, just the next play, actually, it's a corner kick from that save that doesn't get cleared. I think Gabrielson is there and moves like he's going to head it, but doesn't get his head on it. And so Kolmanich doesn't have time to react and just bounces off Kolmanich's knee, falls to Silva, the same guy who played Alex Ring on side for the goal. And he's probably seven yards out and blasts it over the bar. If he gets it on frame, there's no way Tarbell saves that one unless he would have to hit Tarbell in the chest for Tarbell to be able to save that one. And so Austin was able to see out the first half after that, but we're under quite a bit of pressure and we're probably lucky to have a lead going into halftime. Yeah, I would agree. It was pretty, pretty uh, RSL focused from maybe... 30 minutes on to until the until the, basically from the goal right from the goal until the end of the half RSL really was on the front foot in play yeah so going to halftime I'm sitting there like hoping maybe we can make a couple of little adjustments because we were getting beat a lot in transition which I would I want to talk about here in a little bit but I was hoping Wolf could make a few tweaks change the the positioning of a few guys in in the buildup to be a little bit better positioned in those those transition moments. But whatever plans he may have had, never got a chance to see the light of day because in the 47th minute, Danny Pereira gets a red card. Um, this one comes from uh, an Austin FC corner. It starts with a corner, which is why Danny Pereira was so far back anyway. But McMath catches the corner attempt, releases it quickly, he plays it a little bit heavy in front of, I can't remember who the ball, it was Michael Chang. He plays a little bit heavy in front of Michael Chang. Jimenez was recovering to just get back into position and he notices the heavy pass. So he turns to intercept it and he gets there first. He goes to ground, kicks the ball, but kicks it straight up into Michael Chang. It bounces off of Chang's body and he it just bounces into his path. And so he keeps running and has the ball in his foot. He looks up, sees Bobby Wood sprinting down the middle of the field and kind of scoops a long pass over the top to him. Danny Pereira is there. I, I think it might have been Cordoba, the other striker, but Pereira is closest to him. And 
I think Pereira maybe could have stepped and caught Bobby Wood offside, but it was, I don't know. I don't, I think it's hard it to, been, to blame yeah. him too much there. Anyway, Bobby Wood gets the ball alone in behind, uh, rushing Andrew Tarbell. Danny Pereira is in pursuit. He gets to the edge of the box, puts a hand on Bobby Wood's back. Wood goes down. Initially, they don't call anything. It looks like they're going to play on. And then on the broadcast, the camera's tight on Bobby Wood's face and then cuts back. You hear a whistle and then you see a red card in the air. And so I think what happened is the the line judge, like the assistant referee, is the one who called that and told the the primary ref to call that that foul. Yeah, and so there was much chagrin on social media from the entire Austin FC fan base about that. Um, what did you think about it? I mean, he did push him. It wasn't a complete dive from Wood. There was some contact. There was some force uh, directed into Bobby Wood's back. So, like, I, I could see it not being given, but also Danny Pereira opened that door. Like, it's not completely out of the blue. Danny Pereira gave the ref the... He made the ref make the decision. And I, and I think by the letter of the the law or the rules, whatever, I feel, I feel like it was the right decision. Um, I think, especially on the on the replay, of course, which is in super slow motion, but like, you can see the contact, but I, I didn't have a lot of problem with, with... I mean, I had a lot of problems with it, but like, I think it was the right call. Yeah, I think so too. And maybe this is worth saying, but the reason Danny gets a red card is a rule called uh, dogso for short, but it's denial of goal scoring opportunity. And so if you're a defender and you make a foul and you're the last player besides the goalkeeper between that player and the goal, and it's reasonable to say that that player was going to get a shot on goal had you not fouled them, then that's generally a straight red, which is why he got the red there. Um, I honestly think Danny, if he had just rushed around like to to his left, to Bobby Wood's left, and maybe just kind of gone shoulder to shoulder with him there, he could have either stopped him from shooting or just kind of put him off balance enough to to give Tarbell a better chance of sh- saving the shot. I don't think he needed to to push him in the back. I think he he overestimated how quickly Wood was going to shoot that ball. I think it's fair because it's like that's the risk calculation there was not very good because maybe maybe he scores maybe he doesn't but the red obviously will affect the game from here on out. Yeah. So this ref, aside from this, I think we just like said that we think he made the good a good decision there. That being said, I think he had a poor game. <laughs> well, I, just, I know a lot of people thought well, and it's one of those games where you could tell from both sides, right? Because the Austin people were super mad. And then at one point in the broadcast, you can like hear the RSL fans like trash talking the ref. I don't remember. I don't remember at what point it was, but you can like, hear them like audibly booing him too. So like, yeah, and everybody they, was mad at him. They were wrong in that instance. They were <laughs> okay. chanting "Ref, you suck!" because uh, somebody like was sliding through the box and a ball came off of their player, and it kind of looked like it came off of Jean Kolmanich, but on the replay, it very clearly came off of the RSL player. And that was when they started chanting ref, you suck. And so those fans were actually wrong at that point in time, but we're probably right about something else later on. But there was a, a yellow card given right at the end of the first half to Hector Jimenez. And it was like pretty harsh, like a very soft yellow. And RSL made probably 
two to four fouls that were almost exactly the same that got not even a second glance from this official. So I think he really was pretty inconsistent. Uh, he's, I think he's a pretty inexperienced ref as well. Um, but yeah, I don't think he, yeah, like we said, I don't think he got the penalty wrong, but I do think he had a bad game overall. So talking about the, the penalty being Danny's fault, I think he could have done a little bit better to get around the guy, but had Hector Jimenez, cleared that ball or stopped that ball, then I think it would have been like, it would have been fine. And I think this was a consistent theme in this game was Austin losing duels in those transition moments, which was kind of the norm last year, right? Like that's, that's what we did last year is we lost duels in the midfield. We got broken on transition and got punished in transition and things have been a, little, a lot better in that regard this year. Like we've been much better in those moments, and we were not tonight or on on that night on Saturday. We were really bad in those moments, and this is an example of Hector Jimenez doesn't win that ball in midfield, puts Danny Prayer in a really Prayer and Tarville in a really tough situation, and we get the red card because of it. Yeah, and that that ties back to the when you're those moments you were talking about in the first half. I feel were the same way too. There's a lot of it's a lot of bad transition moments, and there was a couple of those like lazy playing out of the back moments too. It was, there were a lot of 2021 moments at, in, in the match uh, this weekend. Yeah. Speaking of 2021, I feel like we saw 2021 Danny Pereira in this game too. I was going to mention that too. Like Danny's been amazing and I feel like excluding the red card, he did not have a great match at all. Yeah. He played some errant passes that led to pretty dangerous transition moments for RSL. Um, got dispossessed pretty carelessly a few times in midfield wasn't as as disruptive in those transition moments as he has been for the rest of the season which are the things that we criticized him for last year he can still dribble around a guy still plays a nice pass every once in a while but was just really weak in some of those moments to be playing that deep in the field um hopefully this is just a, a blip in the radar and he he kind of takes this week off to to refocus his energies and play like he has for the rest of the season but i thought he was not great by yeah. by his by his standards for this season especially he was pretty poor yeah i agree with that and the other thing speak like we're going to go back to 2021 um i hope this game is not the match in may where we're off to a promising start in a red card on a midfielder with a lead Leads to the whole thing falling apart too, which would I know, be the right? Sporting it, KC yeah. on May 9th. Yeah, that's whenever that's when the wheels fell, fell off, wasn't it? Completely. Yep. So we went from there to I don't remember how many we went a long time without winning again after that. I don't remember when that was, but hopefully we're not going to see a repeat of that. So talking about um these midfield transition moments, I think it's interesting what RSL was doing to us defensively. So they were setting up what a lot of times looked like a 4-2-4 in defense. And so they had a line of back four. They had two central midfielders. And then so pretty similar to Austin's defensive shape. But if you take those two wingers, so if you took um, Finley and Fagundes and pushed them up on an even line with the two forwards there, that's kind of what they looked like a lot of times. So they were pressing quite a bit up high and squeezing in on Danny Pereira. And then as the ball went wide, the one of those midfielders would step over and they'd cut off that inside pass. And so 
once we got in behind that first line, we had a lot of space. And that's what we were seeing in those first 10 minutes when we were moving the ball so well is we'd break that first line and there'd only be two guys on our three midfielders and we would just have a ton of space. That's that's what happened on the goal as well. Drew finds ring in between the lines there and then he's got a ton of space in front of him. And so that's what was happening when we were moving the ball. But then we just kind of stopped doing that. We'd break that first line and then give the ball up make a bad pass, uh, lazy touches, not being strong on the ball. And RSL would take it. And because they had those four guys up, they'd have numbers high. And if you miss one tackle, if you give the ball up and you miss one tackle, they've got so many guys up there that you're already at a disadvantage. It doesn't take two moves to, to put you at a numer- numerical disadvantage. It's You have to make that that first tackle, win that first duel. And if you don't, we're in trouble. And we saw that over and over and over on that night. And so I think that's one of the the tactical things. Like Wolf, for the most part, likes to do what he's going to do. And he wants to impose his game on the other team. This is something that I was, I was curious if we were going to see a little bit of a change in the second half in, in that regard. We, we didn't get a chance to see that, but we haven't seen a team really do that to us this year. And I think it's something that if other teams were paying attention, they might try as well. Yeah. So yeah, to your point, I mean, we had, so we get the, but then we get the red card, um, which kind of throws everything off. And we get it the first, the first subs were what about five minutes after that. Yeah. So 53rd minute is what's listed. Hector comes off for Lima. Finley comes out for Valencia, which also leaves Alex Ring sitting on four yellows with Danny out for the next match and playing for a little bit, which is a bit terrifying. But man, then the next goal comes right after that. And I feel like from the time those subs came in, came in until the goal happened, we were just never organized. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's, what, if that's what you saw or not. You, we can talk about the goal, but we just seemed out of sorts from that moment. I mean, it was. I think that's that's fair, but also like whenever you don't have that second forward pressing they're going to move the ball a little bit easier. And so what Austin did was they moved really compact. So the, the two lines of four were really close to each other and they played narrow. And so they're saying, we're going to give you the wide spaces. You can't come through the middle anymore. This is our, our space and just hope that we can head away any crosses that come in. And so you are giving, you're conceding some dangerous territory, but again, winning duels, on that that first goal in the 55th minute that brought it back to 1-1 Nick Lima goes into like 50-50 ball with Justin Miram and touches the ball but comes away without the ball Miram comes away with the ball he plays that ball into Michael Chang in fairness Michael Chang has a really nice touch on the ball to kind of skip past Alex, Alex Ring and then hit it far post past Tarbell that part of it I think like kudos to Michael Chang but if Lima had one won that that matchup with Miram there, which is easily winnable, like very much could have at least slowed him down. But instead, Miram ends up on the other side of him with the ball and is able to play that pass in. So I, I think we were like disorganized, but we were keeping them wide, which is I think in that situation what you want to do and just weren't able to clean stuff up when we got the opportunity. And whenever you're down a man, if you don't if you don't clean up those balls, you're going to get punished. Yeah, and I feel like in the short history of Austin FC, Justin Miram has caused us a lot of trouble. Like I don't know, I don't know statistically what he's done, but I feel like his name has been in the middle of a lot of a lot of bad things that have happened to the club. 
What what is the other one? I I, I don't have. I think didn't didn't he have remember. the didn't didn't he have like the uh, like when Bobby Wood scored his goal to beat us last year? I think Justin Miriam was involved in that one too. Did he play the cross in? Yeah, I think he played it in. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, Justin Miriam is he's a good player. <laughs> yeah, the the second goal. I guess we can talk about the subs here. So the other subs that came in were not long after that. Talking about Ring being on his fourth yellow. So in MLS rules, if you get five yellows over the course of a season, then you have to sit out a game. Because Alex Ring is on four, if he gets a yellow, then not only are we without Danny Pereira this next game, we're also without Alex Ring. So half of our midfield is just gone all of a sudden. So I think that's why you see that early sub. Uh, Owen Wolf comes on for was, was Owen Wolf the only sub? No, it was, yeah, it was Felipe, Felipe for Ring and uh, Owen Wolf for Diego Fagundes. Yeah, on the right wing. So Teen Wolf goes in on the right wing, um, and then later on, John Gallagher comes on for Uruti. And he goes to the left wing, and then Drusi goes up top for the rest of the game. Uh, any thoughts on any of these subs? The players themselves, or when they were made? Either. Okay, I say Owen Wolf looks really good. I said that was that he was, was gonna be one of my player reviews. He was he was the most. We were not very dangerous in the second half, and we and we went from I think the sixty second minute to the ninetieth minute without a shot on goal. But he was one, which I mean is we're a player down. So like, I can understand that somewhat, but I mean, I think he was one of our strongest offensive players and this has got to be the most minute. This is the most minutes he's played in a regular season match. Like I feel he's had a lot of like seven minute, 12 minute, you know, runs, but I mean, he looked really solid and competitive and like he belonged for a half hour. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think one of my criticisms of Wolf has been that he's maybe a little bit too timid and conservative on the ball. In the other games he's played, he's come in when we have a lead. And so like, okay, yeah, instead of playing a risky through ball, cut it back and let's kill a few more seconds off the clock. Fair enough. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. I feel like he was even being a little bit too conservative last night at times. But to his credit, he made two excellent runs that ended ended up leading to those two really nice chances at the end of the game. So uh, he was clean on the ball, a lot of good work defensively. And yeah, I, I, he is he is a a valid option there on the right wing. I've heard some people calling for him maybe to start. Do you do you think that's a little bit too far? I feel like it's a little too far. Do you think he should he's earned uh, the right to or like the the chance to start? I feel like he's a very good for what he like what he did at Saturday. Like give him give him meaningful minutes, meaningful minutes in the second half of a match. But yeah, man, I, I don't know about running him out for the first half plus. Yeah, it, that would make me a little nervous. Like the the responsibility of being one of the people to try to go out and like impose the way of playing on a game from the beginning. It's a different prospect than coming on and, and running around for 30 minutes. So he'll get there. The kid's good. He's going to be a good player, but I think we should be patient and let him let him develop before we push him into a high-pressure situation. Did you have another sub you wanted to talk about? I feel like... For me, almost everybody else was kind of what we expected out of him. I I didn't notice Johan Valencia a lot. Did you have? Did you have I think any he was views fine. On how he played. I think he was fine. He's like he's because of the way he plays. Uh, he's not going to influence a game as much as Danny Pereira is in that position. Johan is very much uh, like on offense. He's going to receive, turn, distribute receive turn distribute like that's his offensive game he's not going to dribble past a guy 
most times. He's not going to put his foot on the ball and look around. Like He's going to move the ball along quickly. And so because of that, you're not going to notice him a ton, which if you don't notice him in that regard, that's good. It means he probably completed the pass. <laughs> um, and then defensively, I thought he was, I thought he was okay. Like it, it's hard to say in that circumstance when we're going to be on, on our, like on the back heel pretty much the rest of the game at that point. But I thought he was okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I mean, Diego coming out early, like, I don't know, like, I guess it's just maybe saving some legs for for Wednesday. I wondered about that too. I, you know, knowing where we were, if that was just trying not to run him to death, knowing we were going to need him on Wednesday with LAFC coming in, and then we were with the way everything was going. So and I thought, so we didn't get any shots for a long time, but, you know, up until, I mean, RSL wasn't creating a ton of good chances. Like, I really had hope that we were going to hang on and, um, pull one point out of that being behind, you know, being, being down a man, like, especially, you know, what back about, about through the 80th minute or so it was good. You know, then they had a good, they had a good chance to 85 and ended up getting called offside, even though the goal wasn't scored. And I was like, Oh, we've, we've weathered this storm. That's, that's going to be the thing. We're going to make it out of here. And then like one minute later or two minutes later, then the goal comes that kind of crushes Austin. Yeah. So it was the 88th minute. Andrew Brody scores that goal. Uh, so like I said before, after the red, we stayed compact. We're staying narrow, letting them play wide. Um, in this moment, they are, com- they have like a triangle of guys combining out on the right side. We kind of step up and are pressing there. A guy rotates around and runs in behind and nobody follows him. That's where that ball gets played. And then he cuts it back to the top of the box. And the person that the ball was intended for, like the pass is off and it goes behind him. And that's where Andrew Brody had kind of like rotated behind to cover for any counterattacks. As he sees that ball get passed, he steps up as kind of like the the trash man there to kind of pick up any, any balls that bounce out. The ball falls right to him. He strikes it really nicely and curls it into that top corner. Uh, on the replay, I didn't notice this in the moment, but on the replay, you can see on one of the angles, you can see the ball deflect a little bit. I think Julio, like it touches Julio's hair pretty much, like barely nicks his head and diverts its path a little bit. And I'm curious if Tarbell wouldn't have saved it had Cascante not gotten a little touch on it because it does deflect upward just a touch and puts it just out of Tarbell's reach. It was, it would have been a tough one to save regardless, but um, the, where the ball ended up going into the goal, it was, there was no chance there. It was really tough to save. Yeah. And that puts us down two one. And I should say, I've said the goal, the goal was crushed. but actually then we, we saw more offensive life after that goal than we had basically the whole second half. We get, we really two, did. Uh, what, one really of the thing, good chances. One other thing I wanted to mention about the goal is I was watching to kind of see like, if we could have done anything better, I was re- honestly watching to see what Johan Valencia was doing on the play. So Johan ends up being the guy closing down the guy who makes the pass. And I was thinking maybe he should have rotated a little bit quicker, but wa- watching back, uh, Driussi is the guy who was kind of nearest that player. He sees the the left fullback step up or maybe John Gallagher, the left wing steps up to pressure that guy this guy crosses Driussi's face. He can see that there's nobody there. Driussi should have followed that guy. Um, I Understandably, I think he's conserving some energy in that moment. 
but maybe picked the wrong moment to do it. Um, cause there was nobody else there. Like it was very much should have been him. I guess you could say Valencia should have closed down a little bit sooner, but I really do think it was juicy's man to follow. Also, another thing worth pointing out is if you have 11 guys on the field, you have two forwards there, uh, Maxi Uruti or whoever the other forward is probably tracks Andrew Brody's run there and cuts that pass out, or at least puts some pressure on the shot right. because that guy's not there then Brody has a free strike at the ball. And I was also watching that, like who's marking this guy and he comes from way deep and we had most of the players marked up pretty well. And so I I don't think you can fault anybody there. It's just like the guy who's supposed to be marking this guy is not on the field anymore. Yeah. We've, I saw this stat, which is not very surprising, but I guess in all five red card games for Austin, we've lost. I don't know what the number is the other way. I'm guessing probably we've won games where we've gotten a red card. I can only think of two right now. We won both those. Where the other team got a red card. Where the other team got a red I Houston yeah. and... Houston last year and D.C. this year were the only two that come to me off the top of my head, and we won both those. All right. Well, like you're saying, the game was not quite over yet. Two of the most dangerous chances, the, the highest expected goal percentage chances came in the 90th minute and the uh, 96th minute. And these are both of those moments we referenced earlier where um, one of them was from Johan Valencia playing kind of a a long diagonal over the top to Owen Wolf, who makes like a really nice, like well-timed, sneaky little run behind. First time touches it, um, lays it off inside to Drusi, who's running up the middle. The first time Drusi keeps it on the ground and McMath is able to get just like the slightest touch to it and then essentially like sits on the ball to keep it from going into the goal. The second one, almost the exact same thing. I think Felipe plays this this diagonal ball, but finds Owen making a clever run in behind. First time touch, lays it off to Drusi running down the middle. I think on this one, he has like the way when the ball lands there and where he is in his stride, he kind of has to take an awkward hop in that moment and isn't able to connect really well with the ball and again just goes straight to straight to McMath and he's able to stop it but um yeah really frustrating that like that's who you want to get those chances right you want Drusy in those moments in that space to to equalize or win that game for you and he couldn't do it yeah and that that would have been such an incredible move but man I was just we talked about it but I think especially on the second one, I was just super impressed with Wolf's uh, play on that ball over to, over to Drusy. And it was unfortunate. Like, I feel like the first one was... Like, the first one was a better shot. Maybe it's right. Maybe his body was just off. I feel like the first one was a better strike and the second one was not that strong, but maybe it was just kind of where he was in 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 his run. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing about Owen Wolf is he's just, like, a really good athlete. Like, he's very agile. <laughs> like... Maybe that part of this is being 17 and just like being a lot more elastic than a 30 year old or whatever. But in the an academy game, I've seen him like, like almost do the splits to like try to make a tackle and then just like popping back up and like standing up and immediately running again. And I feel like maybe the second ball he has to do like a little bit of acrobatics to to get a foot on the ball, or maybe it's another moment I'm thinking of. But um, he's like not a huge guy, but I think he's like a pretty athletic for for as like slight and young as he is in this moment he seems like, he's very tan too just noticed that. <laughs> like he's, he's like the tannest guy on the team somehow like which is odd 
given that he's a wolf. So I don't, I don't know what his routine is there. Um, is there any other players you want to talk about? I mean, I think we covered most of it. We talk about the we could talk about the right wing stitch situation again. I guess if you want to, what are we yeah, gonna do there, I man? Mean, like Finley is just he's not bad, but he's not good either. And we need that position to be good. We need them to create something and be more dangerous than than what Finley is being. And I think he's capable of it. He's just like it's just not clicking with him right now. And so we we have to figure something out either get Finley's confidence up or like, I don't think there's a replacement that does better than him at this point in time. So I don't know what the answer is there. I mean, are the, you know, the choices are Owen, Rodney, John Gallagher, which hurts you in other places, you know, Jared Stroud, whatever he might be. I mean, there's just not a lot of good choices there right now. So I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Stroud is one of the options who I like some people I've heard calling for, but even at his best, I don't think Stroud's better than, Ethan Finley. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, but yeah, we've got to get over this one and get on to that LAFC match on Wednesday. Any, anything else you want to cover before we move on? I think let's just talk about Wednesday. I want to talk about lineup rotation, but I think we can do that in the LAFC preview itself. Okay. Uh, before we get to that, let's take one more break. Hang tight. We'll be right back with our LAFC preview. Hey, Landon, we like giving away stuff. And we're going to give away some tickets again. I mean, it's us and others. So we're happy to do another ticket giveaway. Thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group for the next match at home in Austin. To enter, you can go to MoonTowerSoccer.com then click on the free ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar or click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. So this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. If you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin and given the real estate market in Austin, I feel like... Everybody is probably in need of Sage Real Estate advice. Talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FEF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin SV. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And so I think in terms of community, we both found this post on Instagram um, this week that I think really exemplifies that. So Caitlin, who runs uh, marketing for FEF Law, who's kind of our main person that we talk to, and Margaret were joined the seniors of the Ann Richards School Foundation for library and lunch conversation. But I think the most interesting thing was that they got to take the FEF Law library slide for a spin. And you ask yourself, what is an FEF Law library slide? What is it, Landon? <laughs> well, it looks like in the library of the Ann Richards School, they have a slide that goes from the second floor to the first floor. And it is brought to you, much like this podcast, by FEF Law. And my children would also love if there could be an FEF Law slide from the roof to the back to the backyard of their house. So if you guys are looking to do something else, you know, we could, we have a high value slide area at, the, at our property. Oh, yeah. From my my uh, office podcast studio here down to the kitchen would be a welcome place for a slide as well. So Caitlin, FEF Law, get at us. We can do some business here. We can make some slides. All right, we are back. We have two games to preview this week because Austin FC is playing LAFC on Wednesday and then Orlando City at home on Sunday. Is that right? The Orlando games on Sunday? Yes, it is. Okay, so Jeremiah, give us a history lesson of your boyhood club. My Los boyhood Angeles club. Football, Los Angeles Football Club. Los Angeles Football Club. 
Yeah, and it's just, it'll be a short history. It's somehow it was like in my 40s when they were created, even though they're my boyhood clubs. They started playing in 2014, risen out of the ashes of 20, Shivas. 2018. They were created in 2014, started playing in 2018, <laughs> ah, sorry. risen out of the ashes. Of, no, that's right. Yeah, because there was like a long ramp up. Like they got that franchise announcement a long time before they started playing. Yeah, out of the ashes of Shivas USA, um, Bank of California Stadium, which is basically a sister stadium to Q2 because they have the same designer. And if you ever want to go way back in the archives, you can listen to us interview Jonathan Emmett, who designed was the lead architect on both those projects, right? Correct, yeah. Sort of talk about both those stadiums. I feel like, especially for the first two years, they were basically the model expansion franchise for Major League Soccer. So they finished third in the West in 2018, finished first in the West in 2019, and won the Supporters' Shield. Uh, Carlos Villa set the single-season goal record with 38, and through random circumstance, I happened to be at the match in September of 2019 when they won the Supporters' Shield, which is when I decided retroactively they were on Boyhood Club and bought <laughs> scarf, shirt, hat, basically everything there because it was such an amazing experience. That was my first MLS experience, and I was like, this league is incredible, and all their fans are incredible because of the 32-52, which I would later learn was pretty singular in terms of like fan experience in the league. Was that before or after we went down to a game in Houston? That was that was I did not go to that Houston game. Luckily, <laughs> that was the first one I had, and I think so. This the, I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of fan culture between what um, Austin does and what LAFC has built, and I think I mean some of it's intentional. Like I know a lot of the folks that were in supporters leadership in Austin have talked to the folks um, in LA about what they've done and what they've built. Um, and have like gotten a lot of advice and support from that. The one thing I remember is the LA front office did send all those guys to like uh, Dortmund to learn from the yellow wall before they started playing. And I was trying to convince the Austin FC front office to do that for us. And they never did for some reason. Okay. <laughs> They'll blame it on COVID, but, but I don't really, know if that's right. <laughs> yeah. um, um, then I was, was going to go to last year. Last year, they missed the playoffs for the first time. So in 2020, they finished like seventh. Last year, they missed the playoffs the first time. Carlos Vela was banged up a lot of the year, beginning in Austin, right? I think that was... Remember, he came out um Oh, that's right. In the Austin I FC. forgot and that we, was an Austin game. And we thought it was like nothing. I think people were mad that he came out. You know, he was mad that, was, that he came out. He was yeah. mad. He was yelling at Bob Bradley for pulling him because he wanted to walk it off and come back in. And then he ended up being out several games after that. And they, they went through a lot of roster turnover. And they went through a lot of it in season, which kind of ties a little bit back into what what you were talking about about the transfer windows because Bradley Phillips, Mark Anthony Kay, Corey Beard, and Diego Rossi all went out. And I think everybody other than Bradley Wright Phillips was like an in-season either transfer or loan or sale. So they went through a lot of turmoil last year and they parted ways with Bob Bradley. Yeah, that's right. So kind of the, the end of an era last season for LAFC – uh, and kind of a poor season. So this season, it was kind of interesting to see what they were going to do, bringing in Steve Chirundolo Steve as the coach. Uh, he's a men's national team legend. I, I guess you could call him a legend. He's a pretty highly can. regarded player for the, the, the national team, was coaching uh, the Las Vegas Lights the year before. This is his first, first top flight uh, head coaching job, but he was he's been in – in top flight soccer in, in Germany and in the U S for most of his life at this point. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's really just like that, that main 
that head coach position that he's going to have to learn from. But they've come out guns a blazing and, and have brought in some new players that have stepped in and and been really good right off the bat, pretty much. Yeah, and then name wise, their biggest acquisitions are Kellen Acosta, Maxime Capro, because their goalkeeping was a disaster last year. I think you always, you always gave me a hard time about the uh, what was this Kenneth Vermeer experience? Oh, I love Kenneth Vermeer just because he was like maximum entertainment. If you were on my team, I would I would pull my hair out. But just like watching a game with him playing, I always love it. Yes, they brought in those guys, uh, Ily Sanchez, Franco Escobar, and Ryan's, Ryan Hollingshead out of Dallas. Um, they all brought in, and they have all fit in um, pretty well. So they sit first in the West right now, 23 goals for, 11 goals against. Carlos Vela's bounced back. He has four goals and two assists um, so far. So they're in, a, they're in a pretty good space. Yeah, so I think uh, Kellen Acosta is, I think that he was, were him and Mark Anthony K. they weren't in the same they weren't traded directly for each other, right? They were not. But essentially, like they were traded for each other, like yeah. six months apart. <laughs> yes. Um, but Kellen Acosta has been been a good spot. I think Ilya Sanchez, who's a guy who was at SKC last year, he's I think he's thirty one now, not super old, but uh, a veteran for sure. But he stepped in and has been fantastic this year. Maxime Cropo has been really good this year, which um, a lot of people have said that that's kind of what they've been missing for several years, just like a solid keeper. Um, and then Ryan Hollingshead, who's probably one of Dallas's best players for the last few years, he's not even starting every game for them. And so to have a guy like that to come off the bench, and I think they lead the league in goals off of the bench as well and have like 12 or 13 different players that have scored a goal or something like that, which is insane. Um, but they're really good. They they've been on a slight dip of form. So they drew two two at home. Granted to Philadelphia, who has been really good this year. And then in their most recent game, they lost to Colorado in Colorado two nil. They rotated a couple of guys. It was mostly their starting lineup, but uh, they did rotate Ilya Sanchez and um, who else? I think they started Hollingshead instead of. Uh, Escobar at right back and so kind of rotating but not really I was looking at it do you it almost seems like maybe they were rotating those guys for us I don't know if there's a extenuating circumstances but I don't think Austin FC's ever been in the position to where like teams were planning around <laughs> what we do <laughs> yeah that that is very true and it's been a little bit so it's kind of fun we've had this back and forth with the, the Twitter accounts of the teams right where uh, I think Austin before these recent differ, both of them, like Austin would win and move in first in the West and sort of trash talk LAFC. Then LAFC would go ahead and win and respond. And that happened for a couple of weeks, which is super fun. And still, I think, you know, if we, we, we could rotate back to the top of the West, if a, we pick up a victory this week against, or, or at least for the day, if we pick up a victory against LAFC um, in LA, but yeah, so everything we've said, if, it's in tall order. If we beat LAFC, we will still hold the goal differential and we would be ahead of them. FC Dallas could still surpass us though. They're on 22 points right now. We're on 20. And so if FC Dallas wins, they would be ahead of us. If they draw or lose and we win, we would be in first place in the West. So that is something I feel like we've been kind of doom and gloom the last two weeks. That is something to remember that we're still in a position to be First in the West with one one good result, which obviously winning at LFC on the road is a pretty tall order, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. I think 
this game is going to be, I mean, like LAFC has some really good players up top. Um, Carlos Vela, when he's on, he's the best in the league. He's amazing. Chicho Arango, their striker that they brought in last year, he started off really slow, but is kind of starting to kick on now. He's also very, very good. Uh, so they have a high power attackers up top, but I think this game comes down to the midfield. I talked about in the RSL recap about losing these offensive, uh, these defensive duels, about giving the ball away needlessly in the midfield. If we can control the ball in the midfield and win duels like we did in the first 10 games of this season, for the most part, we'll be okay against LAFC. Like we will, we'll be okay, but they're good enough and solid enough in the midfield and deadly enough up top that if we do give that ball away, if we do lose that duel and let them get in behind, they will punish us and they will destroy us. <laughs> and so it's like, I don't want the players to be scared to go and afraid of that. But if they just play confident and play well, we can, we can play with this LAFC team. Yep. And if you want to hear us talk about us, which is, You've heard that plenty of that. But if you also hear some LAFC guys talk about LAFC, we uh, were on the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast last night, which should be released. I don't know. I don't guess they told us when. Uh, I don't think they did. Yeah, but it'll probably be on social media. So It'll be on social media, and we would hope it will come out before the get match on Wednesday night, or it would have been a wasted episode. So sometime either today in listener time or tomorrow, check that out. You can get like a full rundown on LAFC. They They were nice guys. Um they they do a good show and they'll have a lot they'll know a lot more about what we should expect than maybe we should um for LA. So uh what we're gonna see from Austin in this game, Danny Pereira, of course, is out because he got that red card. So I would guess we'll see Johan Valencia start at the six. Um it, it could do, could you see us going a different direction there? I don't see how we go in a different direction. I think it has to be Valencia. I think it has to be Valencia for Danny is sort of a like for like sub. I do too. I, that's what shape. I want to see. I feel like it gets a little too tinkery if you do anything exactly. different. Wolf has, for the most part, unless his hand has been forced, tried to play guys in the same position all the time. Um, I guess you could move Ring to the six and bring Felipe in or something like that. But I want to see like for like. I want to see the guy who we bought to play six play six and come in and play six. So. Um, aside from that, since Kolmanich started the other day, I'm, I'm thinking maybe we see Gallagher come in, in this game, uh, to, I guess that's going to be on Carlos Vela's side, most likely. Right. So I, th- I think I maybe fancy Gallagher over Kolmanich in that. I, I almost think I'd rather see that, you know, with what he, with what he can do. I mean, you know, John's got his strengths and he's got his, I don't know, don't know that he matches up that well with Carlos Vela. Yeah, so that's that's one spot to watch. Aside from that, I kind of think we see the same team. Uh, maybe a surprise start from Brad Stuver, but uh, yeah, I don't, Adrian I mean, Healy John, on the broadcast kind of acted like, and he he sometimes seems like he knows some of these things, <laughs> but was saying that it sounded like maybe Stuver's first game back was going to be that Orlando game next weekend. Yep. And I don't know if this is, well, he was traveling though, right? Because the other thing that, that happened is like they didn't come back home between RSL and LA. They just traveled from Salt Lake City to Los Angeles. But he was on the bench in RSL. He was not on the bench. In he was Salt not Lake. on the bench. Damian okay. Loss was. But from social media, I've seen that I, it seems like they took the entire team. Oh, okay. 
uh, to be, it would make sense if you're not going to go back to Austin, they're still training these days and you still need a full training squad. Right. So like I saw, I saw pictures of, uh, Charlie Asensio on the training pitch. And so he's not even been on a match day squad yet. So Charlie Asensio, Jared Stroud, I saw these guys in these photos, which I would guess the entire team traveled. And so, which means Brad Suver is there and if he's ready, maybe could go, but it doesn't seem like he's going to. So what I hear you say is surprise Charlie Asensio start. Or surprise Jared Stroud start. <laughs> or surprise Jared start. Those would both be surprises for sure. All right, let's get on to the Orlando City game for Sunday. So quick history lesson, Jeremiah. So they began playing 2015. They were out of the ashes, the Austin Aztecs, right? Somehow, if I remember it that is right. The, it is the organization that was the Austin Aztecs. So uh, Adrian Heath, current... Minnesota United manager was the manager of the Austin Aztecs. They had their pitch flood and didn't have a place to play. They folded, moved to Orlando, played in USL for a year or two, and then became the franchise that is now Orlando City. And Adrian Heath actually went with them and was their coach that year. That's so wild. So they were not very good. Or they're also really, really bad, depending upon how you want to look at it for the first five years of existence. You know, I think that we've talked about them as like one of the worst case scenarios for expansion um, in terms of like what you get out of uh, out of clubs. They're not they're not Cincinnati either, but they were not very successful. But then at the end of 2019, they brought Oscar Perea in and they sort of changed up the way that they they run their team and operate. And so 2020, they finished fourth in the East. And they made the finals. Of the MLS is back. Then in 2021, they made the playoffs again for the second time in a row. Um, Daryl DK was their leading scorer with 11 goals, and they, you know, this, they've they've shown some progress and some promise. Um, I think I don't remember what year Nani came in, but I felt like he was a big part of that turnaround too. I think, it, I think, I think like been, the last three years or so, yeah, maybe four years, he was there. But yeah, he really kind of brought in like a, seemed to bring in a more competitive, professional edge to that team, and really kind of became a leader, which is not a thing that I think anybody would have said about Nani in his past club experience, but he really did come in and like was a really excellent player in MLS for several years. But this is their first year without him. Like you said, DK is gone. He's over in England now. Uh, but they did bring in a few other guys this year. So Brian, uh, Facundo Torres and Urkan Carr, both South American designated players. Um, and they are tied for the team lead in goals with two, which they're not scoring a ton, um, with uh, Pato, the journeyman and, you know, a guy who has a strong pedigree and is still, yeah. like, hanging out in MLS and, and doing pretty decent. So they're currently second in the East, uh, they're third in terms of points per game, with a pretty strong side. I think they're fifth in points per game. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, because they've played an extra game. I think they play, They were one of the few teams that played over that international break. And so second place on points, but if you do points per game, it drops them down to fifth. Oh, okay. And they they have a negative one goal differential, kind of like we were talking about with RSL. It seems like they've maybe snuck into that spot, but they've been like super hot and cold. They've either uh, not shown up and getting blown out of the water or they'll come, come in and play really well and kind of boss a game. And I was looking at their stats, their uh, possession numbers are all over. Sometimes it's 65, sometimes it's 35. And so I think they're just super hot and cold. And so depending on what Orlando team you get on the day, uh, they could either 
give you a run for your money or they could lay over and die. Let's hope for the let's hope for Austin at home. Although we we won't have the weather advantage there because there's a place is more hot and humid than Austin. It's probably Orlando. It is going to be hot though. I think the the current forecast says it's going to be a hundred that day. Um, it do, it is a little slightly later start. I think seven oh eight kickoff. So I think at least the field will be in the shade. I think even most of the east side will be in the shade by that time. So hopefully it'll drop down into like the low nineties and in the shade. Not too bad, but. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's not necessarily an advantage over an Orlando team. All right, anything else we want to cover in this one? No, let's close it out, man. All right, we would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend, tell your neighbor, tell your mom. Uh, share the show with people you love, with people who love Austin FC. If you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter. I'm at LVHero87. Jeremiah is at jbentley underscore H-E-X. And then sign up for the Patreon. We appreciate the support. And then check out the Striker Texas website. Jeremiah, what should folks look out for there? Well, this week, this week we've got we've got a lot of game coverage. And then uh, Chris Bills has a pretty good article that goes back to the discussion about Josh Wolf we had and sort of the fan opinion and how that sits alongside what the team has decided to do. And that discount code again is I believe Moon Tower twenty two with a capital M. Okay, cool. And then check out Westward Ho with Phil West and us sometimes. Definitely last week, probably this week, and then we'll see where it goes going forward. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer. We will review the RSL, sorry, we'll review the LAFC and Orlando City matches and then cover any other news that comes up. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my God.